First, let me pray for us. We've just sung Strong Deliverer, beginning and end. All within me falls at your throne. I lay my all before you now. Our loving God, as the Bible is read and explained, please help us to lay our all before you now. Help us to see Jesus' kingship and live rightly in response. And we ask it for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. So over to Rosalie for this morning's reading. Today's reading comes from Isaiah, starting in chapter 8, verse 11, um, and going to chapter 9, verse 7. This can be found on page 691 of the Church Bibles. So that's Isaiah, starting at chapter 8, verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me, with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honour as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offence, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel for the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, I will not speak according If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God, and they will turn their faces upwards. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations." The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden 
and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Good morning, everyone. If you don't know me, I'm Andy. I'm one of the assistant ministers here at Grace Church. Uh, Bruce has already prayed, and we'll, we'll get going. And everything you'll, uh, the points and the, the run through of the talk will be on the screen uh, behind me. In 1951, a series of experiments was conducted on university students studying the extent to which social pressures affect a person to conform. Eight students were in a room, they viewed a card with a line on it, followed by another with three lines labelled A, B and C. One of the lines was the same as that on the first card and the other two were longer or shorter. Each participant was then asked to say aloud which line matched the length of that on the first card. Except all but one of them were actors. In the first two trials, both the subject the real participant, and the actors gave the obvious correct answer. On the third trial, the actors would all give the same wrong answer. So you can imagine the scene. The cards were held up. Line C was clearly the matching line. But one by one, the actors said that line B was the match. The real participant was always last. And you can see that confused face. And it gets round to them. And They have a choice. Do they follow the crowd or do they stand apart? And you can imagine the scene that sheepishly they put their hand up and say line C was the, the line B was the match. In fact, 5% of the real participants always went with the crowd. And 75% of the participants gave at least one incorrect answer. That shows us, I guess, what we already know. It's hard to live in the minority. It's hard to stand out from the crowd. It's costly. And particularly hard when it comes to living as a Christian. In this country, we might not be greeted by government raids and bomb blasts as we attend church. But but living as a Christian in the world is hard. Maybe we feel minority life at school. We're the only Christian in your class. Or at work, the only Christian in the office. Or in our family or neighbourhood. Beliefs despised and we feel isolated. 
Well, Isaiah the prophet felt, uh, too felt the pain and pressure of minority life. Just to set the scene again as we are in Isaiah 8, the enemy troops are massing on Judah's border. Syria and Israel are about to invade Judah, and then there's the warning that they got of Assyria coming. You see, Ahaz was giving the warning in in chapter 7, verse 9, if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. He didn't heed the warning. He was faithless. And now the Assyrians, the superpower to the north, are on the march. An invasion is coming. Isaiah is one of the remnant, a cluster, a small cluster of believing people amongst the unbelieving nation, uh, people who remain faithful to God. And so he's surrounded by a faithless people. How should Isaiah and God's faithful people live? Well, the answer is in chapter 8, verse 11. If you look down with me. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. So we're eavesdropping on a message from God to Isaiah. It's an important message. The the hand of the Lord is pressing down on him. We can imagine a a strong father putting his big hands on the shoulder of of his son saying, Son, what I'm about to tell you is hard, but you need to hear it. Don't walk in their way. You be different. So how will God's faithful people cope with minority life back then and us today? Well, three things. Uh, Firstly, fear the Lord and nothing else. Have a look at verse 12. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honour as holy. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread. God is saying that the ultimate threat in Isaiah 7 and 8 isn't political oppression or war, but God himself. His holiness and his justice. You see, the real issue is not where Ephraim, Syria, Judah or Assyria had the biggest army, The real issue was God himself. Because behind all the ancient geopolitics, God was judging the nations. And what happened to these nations nearly three millennia ago is a sign and a pointer to the judgment facing all humanity to come. We live in a world of fear, don't we? Of um, conspiracies, half-truths and fake news all fed by internet rumours. There's the very real fear of COVID and its ongoing effects on our health, our lives and our jobs. We fear for our children's future. Now, Nationally, we fear Russian interference and North Korean missiles. And the point of Isaiah 8 is not that it's wrong to take wise precautions or that we should have a hakuna matata approach to life that means no worries but that these things are not the ultimate fear. They're not the ultimate threat. Isaiah says, The Lord of hosts, him you shall honour as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. As we saw in Isaiah chapter 6 a few weeks ago, it is God's holiness that threatens ruin. God is the mighty and majestic king. 
who will judge the nations. And Isaiah spells out how the attitude to the Lord will affect our experience of him. He will be a sanctuary or a snare. Verse 14. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offence and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. If we fear the Lord, then he'll be a sanctuary. Now, we're not supposed to think of spa days or beauty treatments. Uh, Sanctuary is the temple word, symbolizing God dwelling with his people to protect them and to provide for them. And so if we fear him, God will be with us for our good. Whatever the trial, however isolated we feel, still he's there, Emmanuel, God with us. But it's also spelled out the consequences of not fearing the Lord. Uh, Verses 14 and 15, stumble, broken, snared. I wonder if you've seen the film 127 Hours. It it, released a few years ago now. It tells a true story of Aaron Ralston. In 2003, he was hiking in Utah and he was climbing down and he fell. And a 360 kilogram boulder crushed his forearm and pinned him down, unable to move. He stayed there for five and a half days and he finally escaped by taking his blunt pen knife to amputate his own arm. I'm sorry. And he (laughs) abseiled down and walked to safety. It's an an astonishing story. But Isaiah chapter 8 gets us to picture us in his shoes except for without the happy ending. Trapped, snared, entirely alone. No future but agony or desperation. Now these verses, 14 and 15, are quoted in 1 Peter of those who refuse to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus and fear him. And they are a real warning for us this morning. How we respond to Jesus now will determine our experience of him in the future. He will either be a sanctuary where his warm presence is there and we experience his love Or he is a snare where we are trapped and broken under his justice. What does it mean then to fear the Lord? Well, as the mighty and majestic king, we are to respond to him in repentance and faith as Isaiah did in chapter 6. And then treat him as the one we most want to please in life. The one we least want to displease. Uh, 500 years ago or so, there was a preacher called Hugh Latimer. And he was preaching before King Henry VIII. And as he went up to the pulpit, uh, apparently he was heard to say, Latimer, Latimer, you are speaking before the high and mighty King Henry VIII, who has the power to send you to prison and have your head cut off. Be careful what you say. Wise words, aren't they? King Henry VIII, who beheaded his wives. But after pausing for a moment, the preacher said to himself, Latimer, Latimer, you are speaking before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, at whose throne Henry VIII will stand, to whom one day you will have to give an account yourself. Latimer, Latimer, be faithful and declare all of God's word. Latimer feared the Lord more than he feared anything else. 
And God calls his true people to fear him and nothing else. The one we most, uh, the least we want to displease, the one we most want to please as our majestic and mighty king, the ruler of all. And so there are big national fears and threats that perhaps weigh heavy on our minds this morning. Other, other fears are more subtle. The fear of losing respect, the fear of missing out, the fear of rejection or ridicule for our beliefs. But fearing the Lord means looking beyond our circumstances to, to the Lord who is in charge, in control of our circumstances and fearing him instead which then leads to not following the crowd, but standing apart in the minority. Well, unlike Ahaz, Isaiah responds well. And through his response, we get another lesson on life in the minority, what it looks like to fear the Lord and nothing else. And that's our second thing this morning, trust in the Lord's word and nothing else. Isaiah now speaks in verse 16. Have a look down. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. It's no longer Isaiah in the frame now. It's Isaiah and his small group of believers, the remnant, his disciples amongst this unbelieving nation. He's telling them, be people of the word. Bind it up, seal it up, preserve it for future generations. But God's word is also to shape them and govern them now, as there was obviously a clamour for other words of guidance. Verse 19 Isaiah, when, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their gods? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? G.K. Chesterton wrote, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in everything. And that is Isaiah's experience here. Ahaz and their people reject God, but they still want a word about the future. And so well, apparently, without any hint of irony, they approach the spokesperson of the Lord they've rejected and ask him if he wouldn't mind consulting the dead for guidance. Now today, there are some diehard atheists, but nominal Christianity in this country hasn't been replaced by atheism, but by superstition, spiritism, and vague spirituality. For example, for this afternoon, for a large fee, you could visit Jane Wallace and the Psychic Sisters in Selfridges. Horoscopes are still printed in newspapers. I'm old enough to remember Mystic Meg on the National Lottery with her crystal ball. And whatever the appeal of mediums and spiritualists, Isaiah doesn't have much time for them. Verse 20, to the teaching and to the testimony. Get back to the word I have given you. If they don't want the word, don't give them anything else. It won't help them. And verse 20 to 22 spell out the future of those who don't trust God's word. Verse 20, they have no dawn. Verse 22, distress and darkness, the gloom of of anguish. 
and they were thrust into thick darkness. When God is taken out of the picture and people turn to other things for hope and security instead, the result is distress and gloom. There is no light of revelation and no hope of redemption. Humanity is left to itself and that is not a happy prospect. Darkness. We tend to spend uh, most of November, don't we, commenting to each other how dark it is outside. It's only 4.30 and it's pitch black. As if each year we are surprised. But spare a thought for the people of Tromso in Norway. They know what it's like to live in complete darkness. From 26th of November, that's this Friday, to the 15th of January, the sun doesn't rise at all. The polar night lasts all winter. Electricity usage soars, sunglasses sails plummet. There is no dawn. And God warns us and lets us know that those who don't put their trust in, the, in his word... Well, there'll be no spirit, there'll be spiritual darkness and no dawn. In 2021, it might not be horoscopes and palm reading that the majority put their trust in for the future, but maybe looking to the governor of the Bank of England or to politicians for reassurances for the future, or our bank balances, career paths, intellect, and abilities. But God calls us to trust in his word for the future and nothing else. When participants of the social pressure experiment were interviewed afterwards and told about the true study, one of those who followed the crowd said, well, I suspected the middle line was the right answer, but try to push it out of my mind. And we have a real temptation to do that when it comes to God's word to push it out of our minds and follow the crowd. Especially when our friends and colleagues think the Bible is out of date. But God calls his faithful people to honour him by living distinctively and trusting his word each day, even when our circumstances scream otherwise. Amazingly, Isaiah is not all about commands and warnings. Uh, Chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, give the ultimate motivation not to walk in the way of others. Because into this distress, darkness and gloom, light is coming. There is a better future. So lastly, uh, wait for the Lord to come to reign. Chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, And the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness. On them has light shined. We have known days of darkness in our own lives haven't we? At times of illness. Anxiety. Unemployment. Loneliness. Particularly through covid And one of the things I think that keeps us going in the darkness is hope. Hope that the world won't be like this forever. Well, here is the great promise of Isaiah 9. The world won't be like this forever. There will be complete reversal. Verse 2 
darkness to light. Verse 3, fear to joy. Verse 4, oppression to freedom. Verse 5, war to peace. As all military hardware is burned up in a great bonfire. The people of Tromso uh, live through months of darkness. And they look forward to the light to come. Knowing that it will come. In fact, from May to July, it does come and the sun never sets. It is a complete reversal. And God's faithful people in Judah are to wait through the darkness of God hiding his face in hope of the dawn of salvation, joy and freedom and peace to come. A complete reversal. How will this come about? Amazingly, through the birth of of a child in those familiar words we read every December I won't sing them verse 6 for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be on his shoulder and his name shall be wonderful counsellor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there'll be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We know the frustration of failed human governments. Well, Isaiah and the remnant knew that very well. King Ahaz hadn't broken the rules on having a second job. He brought God's judgment and an Assyrian invasion to wipe out the nation. And so if God promised another human ruler, I'd imagine there'd be a cynical groan, wouldn't there? Oh, another one. But this is not just another human ruler. Verse 6, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. Unlike Ahaz, this king will be wise. He'll be called Mighty God. He'll be divine and strong enough to deal with the enemies that Ahaz couldn't. Everlasting Father, a tender and loving ruler, protecting and providing for his people, and Prince of Peace. Things will be restored to their happy state. For us, that means no more sirens, no more car bombers, no more goodbyes to the people we love, no more corruption, no more abuse. This kingdom is perfect, and it's coming. The Lord himself is coming to reign. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17 make clear that Jesus came to fulfill Isaiah 9. Verses 1 and 2 are quoted there that you can look up later. The dawn of salvation arrived. And throughout his ministry, he showed himself to be the wonderful counsellor. As crowds flocked to hear his wisdom. The mighty God who raised the dead. The everlasting father who showed compassion and embrace the outcast. And supremely the, pin, the prince of peace. Dying to take our punishment. So we can be restored to a right relationship with God. And enjoy his perfect kingdom of peace to come. And when we are enjoying that perfect everlasting kingdom. How will we feel about these years now living in the minority? Feeling hard pressed. Tolerated by some, ignored by others, despised by a few. Will there be regret? Of course not. There will be no trace of regret when we're enjoying that perfect kingdom 
with God himself reigning over us. And so with that ahead of us, God's people are to resolve to live in the minority, however hard it is, and to echo the words of Isaiah, I will wait for the Lord and put my hope in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for King Jesus who came as a child to die for us, to be mighty God, the Prince of Peace. We thank you that he is coming again to inaugurate this kingdom forever, a kingdom of everlasting goodness and peace. Please help us now in our dark times to look forward to that and resolve to live your way. Amen.